the way I like to describe production is as a hub of will. I feel like there's always a new problem to be solved. And being a fireman and putting out each daily fire is kind of exciting to me. And I think that's why I like production. Hey everyone, welcome to Call Sheet, a podcast about film production and the boots on the ground work of below the line crew. If you work in physical production in any department, this show is for you. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everybody, I'm thrilled to welcome you to our very first episode today. This show is meant for you, the rank and file filmmakers in every department and at every level. Both the hungry young folks who are making their way and the more seasoned industry veterans who just love production. If you're listening to this, you're like us in that you want to increase your knowledge, improve the understanding between departments, and appreciate the work we all do to contribute to the creative outcome of the project. Now, as far as introductions go, I'm your host, Bryce Sirier. I'm a young line producer, and I've been working in the industry for about five years now. My latest project was a doc series called Prodigy that I co-produced with the Park Stories team for Quibi. And my co-host on the podcast is Kiku Terasaki. Kiku is one of those seasoned veterans. She was a creative executive at HBO and Paramount, a producer and production manager across multiple platforms, and she was my professor and mentor at Chapman University, which is where I first met her. We continue to stay in touch all these years later and work on projects together much like this one. Hey there, Kiku. Hey, Bryce. So we both just love production. We love being on set, being a part of that engine, that that collaborative team that helps make the movie happen. That's what we want to highlight on this podcast, right? The work of Below the Line crew across all departments, from production to locations, camera, G&E, sound, art department, stunts. On every episode, we're going to talk to a guest about a hands-on topic. The guest could be from features, TV, commercials, docs, and they'll tell stories, share insights, and talk about lessons learned from the front lines of their work in the business. We're going to be showcasing people at the pinnacle of the business and people who are just starting out and people who are excelling in crafts where they've previously been the exception, like young women gaffers and DPs. So I think it's going to be really exciting, hopefully even scrappy at times. Absolutely. We really hope this can be a a useful and inspiring resource for anyone and everyone working in film production. And we're eager to hear what you, our listeners, think. You can check out more info about the show and our guests on our website, callsheetshow.com. We'd also love for you to leave us a review. You can star us and write a comment in whatever podcast app you use. It'll help us improve the quality of the show as we're starting off and get it out there to more people so we can keep this conversation going. We really appreciate it. So for our first episode, as we're kicking off the podcast, we thought it'd be appropriate to start with a conversation about setting up a production. We have the perfect guest with us today. This is a guy who spent time in the Navy before transitioning into film production. He's going to talk about the role of the production office in helping a movie run smoothly and share insights on communication, leadership, and cultivating an attitude of service to the crew. So today, our fabulous guest is production coordinator Chris Bryant. Chris's career in production started out on The Amazing Spider-Man and quickly moved on to Star Trek Into Darkness. Then he went on to work on Captain America 2, Ant-Man, Fast and Furious 8 in Havana, Cuba, Godzilla, and Gemini Man in Colombia. Finally, he went on to the upcoming sequels to Top Gun and to Thor. 
So Chris, as production coordinated in APOC, did almost every studio lot, and also all over the U.S. and overseas. All of these shows have standing crews of 300 or more and casts of literally thousands. So we're looking forward to hearing what he has to tell us about what he does and how he looks at his role in production. Welcome, Chris. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, man. We're stoked to have you with us. So my first question to you is, what is it that you love most about production? It's grueling. It's crazy. It goes on for months of 14-hour days. Why do you do it? Uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, I do it because I feel like each project presents a new challenge. Whether you're shooting in a foreign location, you're dealing with new technology, I feel like there's always a new problem to be solved. Being a fireman and putting out each daily fire is kind of exciting to me, and I think that's why I like production. It's always a new challenge and something new each and every project. My sense is that lots of people in production don't really know what the production office does and how it relates to the set. Would you talk a little about its role in the today, tomorrow, and yesterday of an ongoing shoot? Yeah, it's kind of funny. It seems like a lot of departments don't specifically know what production does, even though they've been in production or in filmmaking for quite some time. You know, we tend to be a catch-all, but the way I like to describe us is we keep everybody on the film on track and working in the same direction. Uh, we have so many different departments. We kind of act as a hub of will to keep everybody going. Everybody's on the same schedule. They all know the end we're working towards. That's kind of a broad overscope of what production does. We keep everybody together and on track and working towards the same end. Do you count that as an important part of the creative outcome of the film? Definitely, because uh, if it wasn't for production, you'd have different departments working towards different means. We kind of pull everybody together. You know, for example, we might have a costume department or a special effects department that's miles away from the studio or the production office. Uh, how would they know what's going on? or how would they know creatively what they're supposed to do? It's up to my department, production, to keep them on track and to keep them going in the, in the right direction. On that note, Chris, I love your metaphor of production as the hub in the center of the wheel. Let's talk about who works in that hub, what the team looks like in the production office. Can you tell the listeners more about your role and who you're reporting to? Yeah, indeed. Uh, production office is sometimes on the lot, not necessarily of the uh, studio that's making it. Uh, just depends on space. Uh, but within the production office, usually we have the director. They have their office there. The uh, producers have their office there. And then my department, which is production. Usually we have the line producer, production manager, and underneath as a production supervisor. And then I'm underneath that role as a production coordinator. So my direct supervisor is either a production supervisor or a line producer. And for those who might not know, who do you have reporting to you underneath you as the production coordinator? Uh, depending on the size of the film, I could have one or two assistant production coordinators. I could have uh, one or two production secretaries and then usually about three or four office production assistants. And then depending on the size of the film, we'll have a travel coordinator and or a shipping coordinator as well. Kiko and I talk about this a lot. I love your thoughts on it. It's what types of leadership are needed for production people to be effective in their work. From your perspective, what are some key leadership qualities and skills you need to be successful? 
I think there's a few things. I think, you know, the way you talk to your team uh, should be no different than the way you talk to, you know, the people on the level above you, which just means being friendly, being direct, taking everybody's issues into accounts, their strengths, their weaknesses. And more so to that is just being direct with what you expect out of them and helping them uh, work to their best potentials. You know, each production coordinator has their own way that they like to keep their team organized and their leadership mantras that they have. But I feel like you just get a lot more out of people by being nice. You know, we work 12 to 14 hours a day. You're going to see people and learn so much about them. Not only do we keep the momentum of production going, but we also can keep the morale of production going as well. You know, a lot of people come to production for all types of problems, whether it's equipment, whether if it's, you know, we're in a foreign location. They can't get a hold of loved ones. So we have to be nice and almost a concierge to the crew for them to be able to come up to us with any issues. When I was in Columbia, I got a call one evening. It was past midnight that we had a baby that was having a seizure. My first question was, well, we don't have any babies on this film. You know, why am I getting this call? Come to find out, you know, we had a stunt guy that brought a baby with him and the baby was having a seizure. So now it became, uh, you know an issue that I had to deal with at midnight in a foreign country. I, you know, basically had to have a transpo guy commandeer an ambulance we had that, you know, we had already rented for safety and stunts. Uh, and we got the baby over to a, a hospital and everything uh, worked out well. Uh, and those are kind of the challenges I, I was talking about. You just never know and you have to figure things up, you know, make plans as you go. A lot of people say you're building the race car as the car is driving. I love that. I, I think what you're hitting on is an attitude of service to the production, right? Like, what can you do to help keep the train moving? I think that's an important disposition for all production people to to develop and maintain. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly correct. Like I said, you're kind of a concierge to the crew. Um, you know, and sometimes you could be in foreign locations or somebody can get injured. Depending on the situation, they have to be comfortable coming up to you. So, yeah, we're always having to service them and making sure they have what they need to uh, carry out the function of their job. So as you know, the classic conflict is between the office and the set. If we've heard it once, we've heard it a thousand times. One side saying the other side doesn't understand. Or one side saying they're making my life difficult. <laughs> yeah, they don't really understand or even get it, right? So what do you think is important about your relationship to the ADs and to the rest of the group on the set? What can people on the set do to help facilitate what you do? You know, I feel like a lot of times from on set, they think whether it's production or accounting, you know, I've literally heard someone say, all you guys do is tape receipts to paper, you know, and, and understandably they're out in the elements. They're out, whether if it's hot, whether if it's raining, uh, you know, if it's exterior and they deal with a lot. And, you know, a lot of times we are comfortable in offices um, but I think it's two part, you know, what I like to do is I like to go down to set, especially if it's going to be a challenging day, uh, make sure everybody on my team spends time on set so they can see, uh, in actuality, what happens, what the teams on set have to go through and why it's difficult sometimes to get back stuff that we need. Um, but also the same case, I like to go there and talk with each department head. So they know the importance that we get back all the daily paperwork, you know, because we have to get that off to the studio. We have to get that off to agents. We have to get that off to uh, accounting team. So our kind of functionality is to work with everybody and to make sure it's congenial and everybody's working together. That's fantastic. 
This idea of service from what you're saying is really important because what underlies it is communication, face-to-face communication. Indeed. You know, I was taught that kind of a long time ago. I think initially when I got in production, I kind of expected, okay, as problems arise, we'll address them and get them figured out. Uh, Kind of what I learned early on is if you put face-to-face with each department head and kind of snoop around, see if they have any issues, you can kind of get ahead of problems before they even arise. And that way department heads feel comfortable coming up to you and pointing out issues that might arise, which is always great for us. We love having a heads up and being able to problem solve before an issue becomes a problem. And so that being said, I feel like reaching out to department heads early and often gets them comfortable coming up to you with issues, but also helps you address them before they you know, exacerbate. Leading from upstream, right? Dan Heath's book, Solving Problems Before They Become Problems. Exactly. And I think putting in that face-to-face time with department heads can help facilitate that. What kind of leadership would you say you need from your superiors in order to do your job at the highest level? To all producers and production supervisors out there, what's helpful to you as a coordinator? I think being personable helps a lot. And although that sounds obvious, uh, you know, the more personable somebody is, the more comfortable you feel going up to them and asking questions and trying to help facilitate their needs. I feel like on studio level films, most people are pretty uh, personable, but also one that can kind of anticipate what production is going to need by giving us information early, by giving us information often. Uh, As you guys know, so many changes happen in film production, and the earlier we can know those, the better. So it's really great to work with department heads or producers that Give us early on heads up on any changes, whether if it's schedule changes, location changes, so that way we can be able to pivot at any given time. On that topic, how do you handle second level communication? Do you have a website, software? Well, that's kind of one of the first things when I join a project, what I try to figure out is what the communication tools are going to be. And a lot of that is dependent on the studio itself based off their production manual. For example, Netflix uses a bunch of Google-based products that they call Prodigal. And that's where you'll put all your documentation on. That's where you're going to distro all your information out to the crew. It kind of works as a catch-all system that they have, even including like a Google Drive for documents. Other studios uh, have their own programs like Synchronize, which is also a distribution hub. It can hold all your documents. It can also uh, help you do sides for scripts, something we've been using for a while. So depending on the studio, depending on the production, you're going to have different distribution, different communication tools that you'll be using. I'm so glad you hit on tool sets for communication and document distro. In addition to that aspect of it, What else is on your mind when you're kicking off pre-production and setting up the office? What kind of to-do lists are forming? What tasks are you and your team tackling? Um, Usually production, the production coordinator is the first one on. Usually we'll go in, we'll literally set up the offices, uh, figuring out office space, who's going to sit where, you know, what kind of internet do we need, phones, furniture, and spatial needs. Uh, You know, having done it a few times, I know that, you know, costumes might need a separate space. Construction needs a large space with certain power requirements. Our department might need a plotter. So it's, it's different stuff like that within prep of just physically, what do I need to get people working and how fast can I get it? In Los Angeles, it's easy. And same with Atlanta, because uh, we have tried and true vendors They know the speed that we might need things and how quick it is to set it up. So that's kind of the first things I think about when I I step onto a project is 
what do I need and how fast can I get it? How much are you constrained by or are you able to work with the budget? Well, I think a lot of it comes with just trust and the expectation that I'm going to get what we need at the cheapest option. And sometimes we do that is, you know, we'll get three bids from three different vendors if we're lucky enough to have three vendors and kind of do a cost comparison based off rental, based off, you know, any kind of other fees that they may have. And, you know, sometimes we'll get permission depending on what it is or get an approval. Um, But yeah, we always try to be budget conscious uh, to get minimally of what we need, um, but to make sure that people get what they need to get the job done. So are you given a figure for office space for pre-production that you have to hit? Yeah, it definitely depends on the situation and on the production and on the production manager. Sometimes they can just tell me specifically, we need a stage with this much space, you know, however many thousands of feet with whatever height requirements. And then I'll go around and try to, you know, see what stage space I can find uh, and then present to them the different budgets and they help me negotiate from there. Um, if it's equipment or if it's expendable, sometimes I'll be given the number and that way it can help track to make sure we don't go over that. You know, for example, if it's a camera package, I usually know the rough number when I try to keep it under. I'm not the one that generate the budget by any means, but I'm the one that tries to keep the equipment and the, you know, the numbers below. And sometimes it's just a, a simple spreadsheet where I track you know, where we're at and how much we have left and just keeping the either the production supervisor or the production manager notified, hey, we're getting close to the to that number you gave me. And they'll give a little bit pushback on the department head. How about crew members? Crew members, I'm usually responsible for hiring anybody within my department below me from the PAs, the production secretary to the assistant coordinators. Uh, sometimes it's up to me to hire the travel coordinator if we have one shipping coordinator. Uh, Other than that, what I do is I try to get um, available lists to the production supervisor or the production manager, and they'll reach out and do the hiring at that point. I love that you spoke um, about how streamlined it is in markets like LA and Atlanta. What are common challenges that you face when you set up outside of major markets and maybe some common pitfalls you would recommend people try to avoid? You know, so much of films and locations are interdependent on incentives given by different states, by different countries, um, even to the extent of rewriting the script so that you can make the film cheaper. For example, the state of Georgia gives good tax incentives for films. That's why a lot of stuff is being made in Atlanta. But there's also countries that kind of come and go as far as uh, tax incentives or rebates given to films, Colombia being one, Thailand is one currently, Budapest has been one for a bit now. And so that being said, films will go over there because it's, it can be cheaper all in all to, to make a film there. Some of the challenges we have as production can be manifold. We have to study the you know current political situation in each place, if there's anything that's going to slow us down. We have to study telecommunications. How are we going to communicate out there? Do they have strong internet? How are we going to get phones for crew? And then just local crew itself. How do we hire local crew? That's always a challenge when we get out to foreign locations as well as vendors. So kind of some steps that we do to mitigate the challenges is, uh, A, we look out to other films that have recently filmed there. Uh, We try to reach out and see if they have a vendor list or crew list. And that's usually a good starting off point with us. If they have a crew list, 
usually those people have you know already done a production the size of ours and know the location. Uh, and same with vendors. Uh, if not, then we have to you know go hunt for those and either ship equipment in and or ship people in as well if they don't have the uh, the current needs in the location. Do you ever use production services companies that are located overseas? Yeah, all the time for every production. So basically what it does is a production service in a foreign country, they've usually done some work out there on on other films. So they know the local laws, they know the local rebates, they know some of the local crew. And so kind of what we do is we hire them to work with us and they kind of act as our local production services and they help us get crew. They'll help us acquire some vendors. But also what it does is it takes some liability off the studio or the U.S.-based production company since it can be you know expensive to set up a company in a different country. The production services would act as that company. So I know that Furious 8 was one of the first productions from a studio to shoot in Cuba in decades. And you were out there to set up the production office. What was the most fascinating or interesting aspect of doing that? Yes. You know, obviously something uh, I've always been fascinated about going there. Just never thought I'd have the opportunity. Uh, but it presented millions of challenges, basically. A film hadn't been filmed there in over 60, a U.S.-based production hadn't been filmed there in over 60 years. So, you know, we didn't have much information to go on. What equipment did they have? What kind of crew did they have? Uh, you know, did they even have internet? So many challenges, we had to do so much research. I'd say the, the best reward out of it is working with locals for three and a half months, getting to know them really well, developing professional and personal relationships uh, is always the best thing about working in a foreign location. Um, and I think that's kind of what I got out of Cuba. Not only were we able to accomplish it, we were able to accomplish it on a big studio stunt-based film with cars crashing and helicopters flying around the capital. It was an amazing challenge. Once you know it was all said and done, it was uh, extremely gratifying that we were able to accomplish it. Well, congratulations on that. Do you think there were any parallels to your experience as a top-secret sonar tech on a submarine in the Navy? I think in production in general, it's funny, you know, being a veteran and being in production sound worlds apart, which in ways they are, but having to work with so many people for so long of hours and the camaraderie, it's kind of similar, you know, and I learned early on in a submarine career is that staying calm under stressful situations is going to serve not only you, but everybody you're working with a lot better. Uh, and I think I've taken that to work in film production is that you know, it could be long, it could be tiring, there could be a lot of pressure, but the calmer you stay, the more work and the, the better results you're going to get. I think that's so great, taking the leadership skills and attitudes you develop during your service in the military and parlaying them to your work in production. I'd imagine that was a, a pretty natural transition. Yeah, and just even, you know, having the chain of command and the different departments is so similar. You know, we used to have a thing called the plan of the day, which looks almost exactly like a call sheet. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny the, the similarities of being in a nuclear submarine and being on a uh, studio feature. Uh, and sometimes the same amount of stress, it feels like, but all is well. So I think it's important to point out that what you're saying is the chain of command is not about how to be a bigger jerk, but how to make sure that everything is functioning well. 
Oh, indeed. Uh, I think chain of command is there just for smooth communication. You know, for example, we have office PAs that work with every department, whether if it's delivering something as simple as packages to, uh, you know, they might have a special project. Um, so what tends to happen is a lot of departments will go directly to my PAs to ask them for things, which cuts me out of the loop and I might have different priorities. Uh, and so that's just an example of following chain of command. If the department heads come to me, I can kind of divvy up the time of my PAs to help them instead of going to them directly. And it's not a matter of, oh, I'm their boss, you need to come to me. It's a matter of there might be something more present that you're not aware of that they might need to do first. I'd love to hear more, Chris, about setting up the workflow with the studio. I know we touched on it a bit when you mentioned communication and different tool sets that studios use. But as you're kicking off pre-production, who are your points of contact at the studio? What are the expectations and what's on your mind as you begin this process with them? Yeah, definitely. Each uh, studio is a little bit different. Usually we're, uh, as a production coordinator, communicating directly with the director of physical production or a studio coordinator, or basically somebody who works directly under the VP of physical production. So we communicate a lot. Usually our first conversations are dealing with any legal paperwork, setting up agreements with vendors, to reading over their specific production manual to make sure we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's for any type of safety paperwork, legal agreements, and that we're ready and prepared to go if there's any type of accidents or injuries. You know, we're prepared for helicopter or drone paperwork. Uh, so we kind of just come up with a game plan with the physical production of the studio to make sure us as a film production are meeting all their expectations, getting all their paperwork, and following all the requirements. What do you do to try to develop good rapport with those executives at the studio? I try to always keep in mind that they're working hard and then that my focus is the film I'm on, but they might have three or four films on their slate that they're going back and forth and that my issue might not be their priority at that moment. So I just always try to take that into consideration. But also keeping a balance of keeping it professional, but also personable. You know, you get to work with these folks in different studios quite a bit and back and forth, which makes it nice. There becomes a bit of familiarity. You kind of know what to expect from them. And we work as a team. So that's usually kind of the workflow I set up is exactly what are they going to need from me? How often would they like to hear from me and to be kept abreast of any issues? Uh, usually just like I like to be given a heads up of any potential issues, I like to give them heads up of any potential issues. Uh, and they appreciate that. As far as unions go, what needs to be set up at the top of each project? Are there any specific nuances or things to bear in mind with particular unions? Uh, well, there's a little bit difference. Basically, any studio film is going to be a signatory to just about every union. You know, in some type of capacity, we're going to work with SAG, we're going to work with DGA, IOTC, and depending on the location, there might be some variances to that. But you know, usually the, the steps are is to making sure the production is signatory, and that usually comes with the help of the studio representative. And then for my department, it's just making sure we're kept up with our paperwork. Uh, you know, for SAG, we're often doing cast contracts, Taft-Hartley's, Exhibit G's, minor paperwork. You know, DGA, it's the deal memos, it's weekly reports. So that's kind of the function of my office to make sure we're keeping all of the unions up to date with what we're doing and keep giving them the paperwork that they require. Another function we have here in California is that we have to make sure everybody we hire is cleared with contract services. Uh, 
which means that they've met all their safety requirements, that they've taken any type of harassment training. And it's kind of a nice thing that we do here in California. And basically there's a website, we check everybody. And if they're not up to date, you know, sometimes it's just as simple, they didn't know, and they can quickly take the class online or go to the, the offices and take the class. Some of the studios might have a compliance where even though it's not a union specific in that locale, it might be a, a studio compliance issue. So yeah, there's a lot of classes out there we're required to make sure people are taking. And that way you're making sure the crew that you hire are well-trained, that they're safety conscious, and they're aware of basically how to work uh, in this day and age. Amazing, man. Thank you. Before we say goodbye, it's time for a segment on the show that we call The Abbey Singer. Since this is our first episode, I thought we'd have Kiku give our listeners some background on the origin of this production term and what we're envisioning for this segment of the show. Kiku? So Abby Singer was a first AD doing TV series at Universal in the late 50s when they were really cranking out the shows. They would shoot all over the lot and do maybe three or four company moves in a day. So to save time, like every good AD, Abby would tell the guys, fellas, we've got this shot and one more, and then we're moving to the next stage, and they'd start wrapping up and getting ready to go. And over the course of a day, he worked out that he could save maybe 10 minutes, not because of money, but because that was giving the director 10 more minutes to do another take, to try something different. And so one of my favorite parts about the history of the Abbey shot is that it was really about creativity, not just time and money. So I love the idea of having an Abbey singer moment for our show so that we can pass on something that maybe people don't know a joke, a story, something that's going to be useful. I love that. I think it'll be a segment that we can all look forward to at the end of each episode. And Chris, we have the honor to have you kick off this new tradition for us. So it's time for our first Abby Singer, the second to last thing on the show before we say goodbye. What do you have for us today, Chris? Well, I guess I learned a lesson about being specific. Uh, and this is in San Francisco working on Ant-Man. You know, commonly in production offices, we have to make files and we have labels we put on the files to make them nice. And the product is an Avery label. I'm sure we've all heard that. And one day I wasn't being specific and I asked a new PA I hadn't worked with often to pick me up some 5160 Averys. And I had the assumption he knew what I was talking about. Uh, about an hour later, I get a call from the PA and saying, hey, I'm at 5160 Avery Avenue, but there's no building here. What am I supposed to be doing? And it took me a while to figure out. But yeah, he thought I was giving him an address and didn't realize that I was giving him a product to pick up. And so I've learned that you should be very specific in the directions that you give. That's wonderful. What's so great about it is that PAs will go to the ultimate to get the work done for you. <laughs> exactly. It was a lesson I learned, but you know, also it was a teaching moment to, hey, if you don't know exactly what's being asked of you, ask specific questions. And you know, I also took from that is, you know, if it's somebody that hasn't worked with you before, you know, be very specific and, you know, makes communication a little bit better. Chris, this has been an awesome conversation. Is there any other advice that you'd like to give to fellow production people? Yes, I would just say utilize the prep time to train the team that you have. Make sure that everybody knows exactly what's expected of them um, and that you go over the duties and responsibilities so that that way that there's no question. The PAs know 
exactly what they're responsible for. Same with the production secretary, the assistant coordinators, and, and so on. I'd also say use the prep time to go over any kind of systems that you may have, whether it's a synchronized, a Dropbox, a protocol, if you're working with Netflix. Um, and that way everybody's got it down. If somebody gets sick, then you have somebody else on the team that can do any of those type of systems. I would also say go over with your team the daily prep schedule so they know what to expect the following day that they can prepare for it. And it just becomes habit to look and to start being proactive on their own. And that's that's another thing, I guess uh, I would say, just train the team to go from being reactive uh, and being told what to do every day to becoming proactive, to look at the daily prep schedules, to look at the one line schedule and to kind of anticipate the needs and go from there. Dude, once again, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's truly been a pleasure, and we look forward to having you back on a future episode. Indeed. Thank you, guys, and I appreciate you having me on. For our bonus segment today, we're going to talk to Chris about how he got started in the business and his advice for young listeners on not just how to break in, but how to stay in. To get that bonus segment and more, you can check out our website at callsheetshow.com slash bonus. All our bonus segments on CallSheet are a pay-what-you-can offering. It's not a subscription, just an a la carte model. You can pick whatever topics or stories sound most interesting to you. And it's a way that you, our listeners, can choose to support the continued production of the podcast. You'll get extra stories and insights from our world-class guests like Chris to help you become better filmmakers. We really appreciate any contributions you might be able to make. Thanks so much for being a listener, for being part of our CallSheet community, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. And that's Taillights on our first episode of Call Sheet. This show is brought to you by Elgin Entertainment. It is produced and hosted by Kiku Terasaki and me, Bryce Sirier, with support from our associate producer, Nathaniel Duber. I'm also the editor of the show, and our theme music is by Robert Mai. Our guest today was production coordinator Chris Bryant. We talked about setting up the production office, communication, leadership, and learning to be proactive. Thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode and keep coming back for more. Now, if you'd be so kind, please share the show with a friend or a colleague and take just one minute to leave us a review in whatever podcast app you use. We really appreciate your feedback and support. It helps us grow the show and improve the way that we can serve you. On that note, if you want to suggest a topic that you'd like to hear discussed in a future episode, please send it in. You can email us at callsheetpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at callsheetshow. You should also check out our website for the latest content and news, callsheetshow.com. There are links to all of that and more in this episode's show notes, so be sure to check those out. Remember to stay tuned for new episodes of Call Sheet every Thursday morning, and in the meantime, good luck and go make it happen.